evening, everybody, and welcome to episode 78 of Cave Goblin Radio. I'm your host, Santia Vandalay, and I'm joined tonight by one of the stars of the smash hit documentary series, Helio, the bad boy of paranormal investigation, Mr. Tyler Strand. How's it going, Tyler? <laughs> I don't know if I... <laughs> I don't know if I'm the bad boy of paranormal investigation, but I, I appreciate the sentiment. Do, do you think so, someone I'm else a, owns that title? What's that? Do no, you, I don't know. I don't know. I, I just, I guess. Is someone going to have to challenge you for it? No, I, I think it's funny. I, I love hearing the different, um, the different takes. Um, but I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing great. I'm doing good. Uh, just relaxing and resting here in my apartment at the moment. And, speaking with this lovely host <laughs> so thank you for having me oh absolutely thanks for coming on we've got a couple of new people in the chat um hello to jokers wild i think we might be playing some of your music later but tyler just before <laughs> we came on and i had to stop you because it was so good and i wanted to save it for being on the air we were talking about um you had just been a griffith, griffith observatory in la and uh uh, you went on a scale that showed you your weight on different planets, and it blew my mind thinking that weight is not a constant, and you were uh, talking about how time is not a constant. Yes. And, um... So... Oh, sorry. No, yeah, no, you yeah, please go so, on. <laughs> yeah, so so it's so strange. So, like, it was funny, because you mentioned, it's like, man, it blows my mind that, like, weight isn't a constant, because you're, you're taught to you know, always have these rigid elements of like, you know, this is how much this weighs, this is how much this equals. And we have the same thing with time, where like minutes are 60 seconds. We have all, all of this inside of our consciousness. Uh, we have these very strict guidelines of what we're told these things are. But what's so strange about being an inhabitant on this planet is that we're only used to those things as constants. Because we don't get to leave this place, at least not yet. And and time is also one of those things that's very malleable. You know, like the the difference in gravity and the rotation of mass and matter are all things that constitute the speed of time. It actually has a direct effect on time. And depending on where you're at in the universe, time does not flow the same. Uh, you can, in a sense, actually time travel in different areas. Time is sped up, slowed down depending on where you are. So it's very confusing. And um, on, on top of what we were, were talking earlier, um, I guess my only other anecdote uh, to add to that is that I think it's, it's normal for people to understand that or hear that, but I think it's entirely different to fathom that or comprehend it. And I think we're, we're always dealt with things that we understand at a surface value, but we don't necessarily comprehend them through and through all the way, like concepts like eternity. I think we all understand what eternity is, but we can't actually feel that. I think it's it's beyond our grasp, and I think that's one of the fundamental issues of being human is living in a reality where we know there are all these things that exist, but not being able to necessarily fully grasp them to the full extent of feeling them and knowing them and experiencing them. It's got to be a new record getting to the concept of eternity under five minutes on a, <laughs> on a podcast. We're off to a, we're off to a good start. I hope people put their, their bets on the racehorse. <laughs> yeah. Joker's wild <laughs> says Tyler gives off strong Constantine vibes. Have you heard that before? You know what? I have heard that before. <laughs> oh, I, really? I am okay with that. I, I actually have a lot of compendiums of the Hellblazer comics. I love John Constantine. Oh, nice. Um, we, when you were talking before about you know time uh, being perceived and being actualized at uh, different rates in, I guess, different parts of the universe, the, the best way I've come to understand that is actually in a Calvin and Hobbes comic when <laughs> Cal Calvin's dad is blowing his mind and he gets, him, he gets out a record and he's, he points to two points on the record, and he says, like, this point right in the middle and this point on the outside, they take the same amount of time to get all the way around, and they're joined together, but the point on the outside has to move faster than the point on the inside to get all the way around. And that kind of messed with my head. And I don't Interesting. know... Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know what? 
that's that's really you know what i love i actually love kelvin and hobbs and i love that you brought it up because it's one of those things like i almost forgot about but we actually i grew up with all of the kelvin and hobbs books and oh we're losing you there like i'm sure i'm sure there's so many things in kelvin and hobbs that went over my head at that age so like i not with you mentioning it right now i would actually love to revisit those Oh, and, they're timeless. Uh, see what's in there. I believe you can find them. <laughs> I think they're all uh, they're all online in a uh, a non pirated format, um, where you can just click no through kidding, and you can randomize it and stuff. I could be wrong, um, but you know maybe we'll <laughs> figure that out. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I'm, sh- you... <laughs> I'm sure you've told the story oh. a million times before, but I'm just curious about what started your curiosity into the paranormal. You know, it's a really interesting question for me because I know the expected answers that most people give uh, in conjunction to my own. And it's weird because there's like elements of, of these two halves. Now, what I mean by that is if you were to ask most people that on the street, if you were to go to a paranormal conference and ask somebody that, it seems like a lot of times the response you'll get is somebody will go, oh, well, when I was a kid, I've been seeing spirits and blah, blah, since I was blah, blah, blah years old. Or, you know, they'll, they'll have some occurrence where, like, um, you know, that got them into it. Or at least that's what they claim. And it's kind of weird. It, it's, it's weird to me because I don't know. I don't know if a lot of people say that because they feel like it's a validation factor or something that gives them the green light to be weird. Um but what's strange is I don't, as someone who has had some strange experiences when I was a kid, those things were never a factor that got me into the paranormal. Uh, the reason I got into the paranormal was because I was fascinated with it. Um, there was no other subject that I could think of in this reality that encapsulates that fascination with this, these stranger aspects of reality. Like, it wasn't enough for me to get into like the common hobbies that most people get into because everything about them is known and it's, it's mundane. And like, I'm someone who very much wanted to feel and discover this uncharted territory. So even though when I was younger, I've had some fairly strange significant occurrences I've never used that as a sort of crutch to give me the green light. I've always just been open about being fascinated by it. There's something about these topics that pulls at something deep within me. It's, it's a part of me. It's an aspect of me. And it's, it's a pivotal aspect of how I live my life and how I view reality. And, and it's just always been that way. It, it feels like it's a part of me. It, it brings out an emotion and a feeling in me that I can't, I don't have the proper terminology or words to convey, but it's just, it's just something that it's literally an aspect of who I am. And I've just always been interested in it. I think it's a fascinating topic and it, um, I think it's something worthy of pursuit because it's not only a very strange topic that leads you to strange places, but in doing so, you're also trying to grasp and tackle universal concepts that have always been at the forefront of philosophy and, and the human occurrence. So it's like, it has everything. It has everything that I could want out of a subject. You know, I can't think of any other subject that allows me that. Um, so I, I hope, I hope that answered the question. <laughs> it answered answer. the, it answered the question way more than, than I thought it might. I thought, yeah, I did assume you were going to have um, an occurrence to to validate that, like you were explaining, and I never really thought about it that way before. Um, and I, I, I guess to to um, to take another tack from what you were saying, you mentioned you did have some occurrences in your childhood. I have, yes. Are there, are there any you care to go into, or is it more of a uh, well, <laughs> so a private it, thing? It, this this one's difficult and, and it's difficult for a couple reasons. I I know eventually I want to discuss them because I I fully believe that everybody should have access to these stories so that we can continue to grow and learn. Some of them though I don't think are ready 
to be spoken of just because they're very strange. Not that that's <laughs> an issue for me, but, but they're, they're very, very strange in a way where I'm, I'm not quite certain I'm ready to expand on them, but, um, you don't want to get that Some weird of, email in the middle of the night. Yeah, well, listen, we already get e- weird emails. <laughs> you, you know what it is? It's funny Funny enough, I would say that they're weird in a way where they have a almost somewhat comical theme to them that I feel like if they're out too early, they won't be able to be taken seriously. Mm-hmm. Not yet. Even though there's a lot of data and really strange, significant tie-ins to stuff I'm doing now. I think that they're too whimsical and bizarre in the sense that I don't think even a lot of these weird people that are into this stuff will take them too well. I might be wrong on that. But but something that I can speak on um, of being younger and something I think is relevant, interestingly enough, now that we've brought up time and the concepts of time and how it flows, ebbs and flows... Because I do think the things I have experienced are a retroactive cause of things I'm doing now in the present and possibly in the future. I don't think time is just going one way. I think we have a lot of things bouncing back and forth. And I think that is a factor that bled into some of the things that I've seen. I think they're a direct cause of what I'm doing now. One of those things was witnessing. um, I think this is actually the first time I'll say this story publicly. I don't think I've ever been on a podcast talking about this, but um, my mother and I actually seen a full-blown UFO uh, when I was about 16, I want to say, 16 or 18. Um, It was about 11.30 or 12 at night. Um, I had a dog named Stringfellow at that time. Uh, And he started acting up a little bit. And my, my mother was like, oh, he wants to go for a walk. You want to go for a walk with me, you know, late at night? I'm like, yeah, sure. We lived out in the forest, like kind of a remote area away from town in, in a small northern town called Ironwood, Michigan. It was in the summer. I, I think it was a fairly warm night. Um, we started taking my dog for a walk. Uh, took him for the whole, whole walk. We were walking back. We live on a dead-end road. And while we're walking down the dead-end road back to... Um, our house, this giant football-shaped object, clear as day, I mean, no clouds in the sky at all, bobbed across the sky like someone would be doing the wave out the window with their hand. Mm. And silently, bobbed all the way across the sky and out of sight, but the whole thing, the way I can describe it, is it looked a lot like um, these old, like, 1950s pop artworks of, like, UFOs where they're just glowing orange. It looked, the whole thing looked like it was on fire. And the movement it made, it invoked this sense of something organic. Like, like almost like the ship itself, or this light, whatever it was, was a living thing. Um, I think that is interesting in and of itself. So my mom and I, of course, freaked out a little bit. We're like, holy shit, like, did you see this thing? You know, like, we obviously both seen it. We still talk about it. But what I find of interest with that event is that that was at the peak and the height of when I first started getting really strange with this stuff, reading about topics that for me connected the dots and made me realize that a lot of this phenomena is connected to even stranger topics like magic and um, alchemy and things like that. So like I, I was young reading about these things and it was on my mind and I think there's an aspect of that that produced that event, whether that was being on that kind of wavelength or conjuring it. I don't know. There's a couple different areas of thought you could go with that, whether or not that was something initi- uh, like an initiatory experience. I'm not sure about it. Um, I think the timing of it was very relevant with what I w- had been studying at the time. Anyway. That's my uh, response to that. Sorry for that that long kind no, of No, that's ramble. that's exactly the kind of thing <laughs> we're we're looking for today. So you, you think it like it possible it could be some sort of thought form between you and your mother cuz I mean I can only assume you have a strong bond to have seen that together. Um maybe, maybe because um it's interesting you bring that up because I know as far as everyone in my family goes, my mother was one of the few people who had 
fringe interests. So like at that young age, being super excited about all this stuff I was learning, I'd always tell her my theories. Like I'd, I'd tell her about all this weird stuff. You know, we would have, um, we, you know, we would have fires outside in a fire pit and I'd always tell her, you know, these, this kind of this brain stew that I'd have about like what I thought this stuff was and where it was coming from. And, uh, you know, it was around the peak of that is when that manifestation occurred. I call it a manifestation because I don't believe that's this chance um, that you have that happen. So, yeah, is it a thought form that like you saying that is one of the big complicated things that I'm always discussing with people in the Hellier crew that we're all collectively talking about is how much of this phenomena is an aspect of ourselves and how much of it is outside of us? And is it both simultaneously, which is what I, I tend to gravitate toward is that it's two opposing things simultaneously. So when we talk about comprehending things and um, understanding things, that's one of the reasons I brought that up as well earlier is like one of the concepts we're always tackling with this phenomena is how can something be seemingly physical and outside of ourselves, but also seem to be like a spirit or something that maybe even be coming from inside of ourselves? You always have this duality, uh, but you know that on a fundamental level is a very esoteric uh, concept. Uh, you know, even if you want to think about that, like as above, so below, these, these opposing contrasts, the balance. I think a lot of this phenomena has elements of two opposing things, physical, non-physical. And I think that's what trips up so many people in the paranormal is you'll find that a lot of people, one, view a lot of these topics as singular subjects. So you have cryptozoologists that look for strange monsters because they think they're biologists and they want to view them as flesh and blood animals that they can find. They don't, they're not into that, the woo stuff, the spiritual stuff. You go to ghost people. Ghost people are usually only interested in spirits, spirits being the ghosts of the dead, uh, dead loved ones, dead grandma, whatever you want to say. And in the modern age with pop culture TV, you know, a lot of people are focused on demons because it's the... The scariest thing that you can talk about is demons. They're not looking at UFOs and they're not looking at cryptozoology. And then you have UFO people who are very much a lot in line with the Bigfoot type people or crypto type people where using mathematics and logic with the, the size of the universe, mathematically speaking, we can't be the only ones you know, in the universe. So the extraterrestrial hypothesis tells us that these are little green men coming from outer space in their advanced spaceships and they're visiting earth from another planet. But if all of these people were to compress themselves in the one and talk to one another, they would see how there's so much overlap between all of these things, including literally magic and occultism. And it starts to paint a picture of how you can have all these strange puzzle pieces exist in one reality one image because it's all encompassing it's it's of the same material it's of the same puzzle board and um i don't believe that we're dealing with individual subjects and that's why that you all this strangeness can exist without it ever being found right like isn't it strange that you have people that believe there's a monsters flying in metal ships in the sky from space simultaneously while that's happening there's monsters running amok on the ground level and there's spirits haunting people's homes all on one planet and yet no one's finding any of this like a lot of this patterns that you see exhibited in this phenomena overlap into all of these subjects so someone like me looks at all of it and i start to see like okay all of this is important um and it's painted a, not only a, a, a fascinating picture, but a beautiful one. And it's one that keeps me fueled and why I keep looking into this, because I can see how the puzzle pieces fit. We may not have all the answers, but we can see that they are indeed, we're dealing with a jigsaw of some type. And uh, I think once you get a taste of that, 
and you, you can see how it works to a degree, how can you stop? How can you not look into it? I don't know. I don't know if that answers. Uh, the, well, I'm I don't just thinking, I don't know how Carl Pfeiffer edited that into just two seasons of, <laughs> of, of Helio. Well, that's what I mean. I'm just, I'm well, just sitting well, there like I mean. just, just staring in awe <laughs> listening to this. It's, it's blowing my mind. Anyway, this is a, uh, uh, also a, a music radio show. So why don't we just do a quick musical break and let everyone marinate on that for a bit. And when we come back, uh, we'll take a call from the audience. And just quickly, we got a we got a donation, five bucks from Joker's Wild. Oh, thank you, Joker's Wild. Thanks for the uh, five dollar tip. Much appreciated. I actually know. I actually know who that is. Good really? Guy. Yep. His name's Jason. <laughs> Duck thing. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, thank you, Jason. I'm still going to call you Joker's Wild because of Twitch etiquette, but <laughs> but now I know it. You know that I know it. As well, so we're gonna we're gonna open. See, I thought I thought it was the uh, musician of this band I'm about to play, uh, which is Wired Only in the Wreckage with Get More To. Get Haunted uh, by Wyatt, Wyatt, let me just see, Wyatt, Olney, and The Wreckage. Now, I never uh, really listen to these songs before I put them on. I just click through and make sure it's not someone messing with me. Um, 
Uh, that was awesome. You don't hear a lot of uh, modern power metal. I got some huge Maiden vibes from that. It was fun. It was a good one. Um, <laughs> now, Tyler, I don't know uh, if you would have seen the video um, uh, with the way we've got this call set up, or if you would have just seen my face talking to talking to Talia while muted. <laughs> you you were in fact my music video. Oh great. <laughs> but okay, if you I'm going to send you the link to this afterwards because there was a uh, an actor in this music video and Sketchy who's in chat now is is friends with these people. Well, excuse me everyone. Sorry, I accidentally played the song again. Uh, it's a mild technical difficulty. There's an actor in this music video it appears they're having a séance and the person conducting the séance looks like Greg Newkirk. Oh, that's hilarious! That's so weird. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually put. I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a screenshot of him. Uh, no, I'm not. Yes, yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm gonna do it up on the screen, and um, yeah, and again, I'm gonna send you this <laughs> afterwards. No, I'm spending See, too much know, time doing this. Let's now, forget. But there, there is, there is a split. <laughs> there is a split screen where like half my screen now is just like this little doll logo with like uh, a reddish brown oh yes that, that's our caller um and caller are you on the line are you ready we got them uh unmuted talia can you hear me uh yeah i've got you pretty quiet i'm gonna see if i've got you turned down on my end there uh say something again hello joker's wild uh, I can. Tyler, can you can you hear the guest? Faintly, but I can hear him. It is very faint for me as well. Um, now, do you have a question for Tyler? Hi, Tyler. Uh, I was just going <laughs> to ask, uh, if things like time and weight are malleable, what do you think consciousness is? Is consciousness as malleable as the others, or do you think consciousness is one of the only constants in our reality? Ooh, that's a really interesting Good one. Good question. It's a very good question, Jason. Um, you know, I don't know how to answer that, and I don't even feel like I'm qualified to answer that. I can only, I can only base this off of my own, um, my own opinions on the, on the subject. But I would say, yeah, I mean, consciousness absolutely, in my mind, is, is malleable. I mean, I mean, think of just us as people on a journey, right? You know, like. If you want to say consciousness is a part of growing and learning, then by default it's malleable. It can it can expand. The fact that I believe it can expand or or become more diverse or or complex tells me that it's not a constant. But do I think everything in reality has a consciousness? I don't know. You know how can we we know that? That's one of the fundamental um, mysteries of all of this. I I, I do believe that consciousness and psi phenomena is a heavy influence on all of this and it's a legitimate study uh being conducted by legitimate people that are have much higher iqs than probably all of us in this uh this chat room um Come on. you know so so that's so that's something you know absolutely i i would say i mean i like to think that consciousness is infinite you know, but but that's something that borders on on belief, and and I, I try I try not to have any beliefs, any one way or the other. I, I know that seems strange, um, you know, coming from someone who's talking about all this weird stuff, you know, because it, a lot of people think it, it's it's a belief on ledge on, on the level of something religious, but but to me it's really not. Uh, I see evidence for it. I see I've experienced enough in my life to to know that there is a substance there. It, there's enough patterns in the phenomena to know that there is something going on. And there, there's a lot of big brains out there that know that as well. So when it comes to consciousness, something as immaterial as consciousness, you know, it's, it's just as immaterial as asking, where do we go when we die? What's the human soul? Like, I don't know. I don't know. But I, I do think that it can, um, you know, I do think that it, it can, grow i think it can expand and I, I think it is always changing there's probably aspects of consciousness that we can't even identify with as human you know it doesn't mean it's not consciousness or or intelligence if, if those can be interchangeable at times so i don't know if, if i 
can properly answer your question, like if I think it's a constant or not, but I, I think it's at least, I mean, the fact that we're having this conversation and I'm self-aware that I'm having a conversation, which is consciousness, I'm consciously aware, then it's at least a constant in my reality. I don't know where that applies to everything else. <laughs> I don't know if that answers. That's the best I got. This is a follow-up question for you, Tyler, and also uh, also for you, uh, Joe, as well. I guess we can... um throw that away and call you jason but um <laughs> i revealed your secret identity i'm sorry that man uh you, yeah you've been burned you're gonna have to go to go to belize um but what do you uh, and I, I don't know i'm gonna ask this question right because uh i only know it from hearing henry zabrowski talk about it on a last podcast on the left um but what do you think about this theory that uh our galaxy itself is almost shaped like a human brain, like a synapse map. Hmm. Is this, is this a question for me or for Jason? It's a question for both of you or for okay. anyone to pick up and bounce off of really. So um, that I'm not left so, here. Uh, floundering. Like the, <laughs> as a floor, below, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. so. The, the only thing I could add to that, I, I think it's very, it's an interesting um, comparison. And uh, the only thing I can add to that is conjecture. And I think if you are to apply the similarities to that, you're starting to teeter on the verge of now entering a, a, a purely esoteric view of reality. And, and, I, and that's something that is very, it's a slippery slope for me because even though I believe metaphysical concepts exist, I don't know how much of this reality pertains to it. So if I were to believe in something like this galaxy or many others are shaped like the synapses and wirings inside the human brain, that starts, I believe, teetering on the concept that, well, maybe all of this is predestined or there is some kind of intelligent design. I try not to focus on things that are that large concept because it untethers you. And it doesn't matter how much you think on them, you're not going to come to the answer. So I, I don't put my time into that. But what I could say on that is I do think there is value in the analogies of these, of the microcosm and the macrocosm, or things like as above, so below. To me, that's what that resonates with. And what's interesting about those concepts is that what people don't realize when we talk about the earth possibly being a giant living organism and we're an aspect of it and what's our place within it. What's real strange about it is what most people don't realize is that we ourselves are entire planets and galaxies for realms and invisible planes that we can't see. Like right now, this will freak out some of your viewers. It's right freaking now, me have, out. <laughs> you have thousands you have thousands of mites and invisible insect looking things living on your skin and your eyelids right now. Mm -hmm. Right now, that's a thing that exists. Oh, I'm fully if you're aware listening of to this, you have, you have invisible little monsters living on you right now. Now, but we never think about them. You know, you shower, you bathe in hot water. How many apocalypses have you caused and what is eons to another living thing that you are a galaxy to? How many cells shed from your skin and die that are mini galaxies within you right now? now so now viewers, please don't stop showering sense. because of this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and please yeah, keep washing your hands if during this pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> if there's one message to take away from this episode, it's don't shower. Uh, but, <laughs> yes. um, stop showering. Uh, but, but, you know, that goes down to the same concept. So how interesting is it where you can not only project that outward, into the size of a galaxy and be like, wow, it's weird that this looks like a brain. You can also scale that down and be like, well, that's weird that we ourselves are kind of a galaxy. So it's like, I don't know. I don't know how to think about that. Like, like there's a lot of trains of thought. You can go with that. I try not to think too much because there is a certain pattern to how everything in reality seems to be existing. There's math, there's mathematics involved. Um, even right down to the physicality of how things form, you know, like people talk about the Fibonacci sequence and uh, things like that being 
uh, prevalent in in reality and nature. You know, like there are certain patterns, and and sometimes maybe those patterns don't have to be metaphysical or or have some high concept. Maybe that's just the way things are. But we're a very finite piece of that, and we can only speculate. So when it comes to concepts like that, all we can do is speculate, and that's as far as what I just said is as far as I can think on that without becoming untethered and and starting to lose it because it's too big. It's too big of a bite to chew. Um, So that's, I don't know. It seems like it takes a lot of, a lot of control um, because you do hear a lot uh, about uh, paranormal investigators and um, people looking to the skies and things sort of losing their minds a bit. So, um, you know, it's, it's good to stay grounded with that. Now, I, I believe Joker has another question that we have uh, some time for. Okay. I was going to ask, uh, I was listening to an Alan Greenfield interview, and he was talking <laughs> about how the paranormal is like a hydra, the same beast with man, many different heads. What do you think about this theory? And if they are different heads, why do you think they appear differently to different people? That's an awesome question, and I'm with Ellen Greenfield on that. I, I think it is. I think it is kind of like an octopus um, with many tentacles. Uh, and uh, you know, I don't know why it wears different masks the way it does. If, if it actually is something that's wearing different masks, but one of my ideas on that is that whatever this phenomena seems to be, it's very archetypal. And it, and it seems to rely heavily on symbolism. Now, a lot of people are kind of meshing with what we were just talking about. A lot of people, I believe, will say, oh, well, that's because it pertains to the occult. And the occult has a lot of symbolism and, and archetypal forms. But the reality is, is that it's very human in the sense that we ourselves are symbolic entities. And I don't think people realize that. I think a lot of people aren't consciously aware of how much symbolism we incorporate every day into our everyday things. Um, Even if that be us walking through a grocery store, you're looking at products on a shelf. You have two of the same product, different brands. There's studies that you can look, someone's going to take one item because of the packaging on it. The Packaging looks better. It's creating a symbol, and that symbol is making you feel something. These things are at work every day in advertisement. We, we come across symbolism in every aspect of who we are, the, the color of the clothes we wear, the things we invoke because of it. All of those things affect human consciousness, and we know that, and that's why we use certain things, why we dress in certain styles, why we select certain items. I think that does not stop when you project this onto the phenomena. So when someone's running across something like Bigfoot in the woods, one of the things that's overlooked largely by these physical ape people in in the Bigfoot field is that Bigfoot is very much an archetypal form of a wild man and everything that encompasses the wilderness in man, the wild aspects of man that cannot be contained, that cannot be captured that invokes a certain feeling and it gives you a certain message. Um, When you look at extraterrestrials, things that are perceived as aliens, when you go back in time, these things shift and they change. There's a lot of illusions. If if you read books like Passport to Magonia by Jacques Vallée, um, he he makes a really great um, statement, uh, hypothesis about how the modern UFO lore mirrors older folklore of things that would have been considered fairies or elemental spirits and how the um the traits they exhibit follow a very strict pattern or i shouldn't say strict but it follows a pattern that's very reminiscent if not identical to what people are experiencing in the modern age but what you see changing is the physicality and the visual of them and sometimes not 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 all the time but I've found reports, you know, Keel, I know Keel, John Keel talks about it, how I think back in the 15th century, there were people who were seeing ships flying in the sky, but they didn't look like UFOs. They didn't look like modern vehicles. They looked like wooden ships, like ships literally made of wood, like sailboats. 
and there would be anchors that would come down to the ground and a strange little man in coveralls would crawl down the, the chain link anchor. People would see it. They'd cause a whole scene. They'd climb up, go back in the ship, and the ship would fly away. You see this in Native American folklore of the little men of the forest who would fly through the trees in silver canoes. You know, there's an aspect of those visuals that are projected from the time they are being seen. You know, people back in the 15th century didn't have flying machines, so they're not seeing things like spaceships that we have now. But you see it evolve with our societal beliefs uh, and our, our, our own technologies. It evolves alongside with us for some reason. And that's why when we talked about psi phenomena earlier and human consciousness having a projection outside of us, that's why that's so important because you see that motif start to shift from archaic things into more advanced things once we hit the 1960s and we're developing things that are more advanced. We're going into space. We're making uh, rockets. And now these things are starting to come down in flying saucers and then it becomes popular that, oh, these aren't spirits anymore because like people have stepped away from that concept. Now people are saying, oh, they must be coming from space and they have advanced machines. They're coming from Mars. I don't think that's the case. I, I think we're dealing with something that adheres itself to what we have. It, it has a symbiotic relationship with us in some way, shape, or form. Um, whatever it is, it's very invested in us. I don't know if we have the answer as to why that is, but whatever it is, it's symbiotic and it's, it's very integrated into the human experience. And I wouldn't be surprised if whatever that thing is, whatever the other is, probably needs us just as much as we need it. Well, thanks for the, anyway, great, my... thanks for the, great, uh, the great questions. Joke is wild. <laughs> I think you broke my brain there, Tyler. Um <laughs> Um, yeah, no, I'm glad. I'm glad you uh, brought it back as well to that um, projected consciousness. Because I was thinking, with you saying that about people in the 15th century seeing ships, people in South America seeing the canoes, like, yeah, maybe, maybe the what's closer to a, a reality of this thing I was talking about with the um, the galaxy being brain shaped is maybe that's just how we're perceiving it because that's the shape that we understand. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and like, and I think, but, but that's one of the confusing things with viewing anything in reality, not just the paranormal, is that everything we view, no matter what, the one thing we can't escape is the human filter. If you, if you picture the way we view reality like a Snapchat filter, we can't escape it. The fact that we're one biological organism, all living things have a filter veiled over its eyes on how it perceives reality because that's how it exists in reality. That's how it survives. We have very harsh filters that we can't escape because of our physical survival mechanisms. And like concepts that you, uh, a, good, a good analogy of this or, or a good um, example of this is the, the book, the writing, uh, The Doors of Perception by Aldous Huxley. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a Harvard professor, I want to say. I hope I'm not getting that wrong. But he, uh, he wrote this book on his um, experience with uh, mescaline, uh, this drug, and how when he took this substance, he could see all these beautiful, amazing, strange vistas of reality. He could, he could see shades of color that he normally couldn't see in a flower, multiple shades varying, and he would look at things like a chair and how its construction almost seemed borderline supernatural than him. And he would get lost. He would get lost for what seemed like hours looking at certain things because of their complexity. And the argument he makes in this writing is that it's not that the drug is making him see more of something that doesn't exist rather than it's breaking down the doors of our perception or it's, it's taking down some of those barriers because if we didn't have those barriers up, we wouldn't be able to function as a living organism on this planet. We need to have blinders on so we can go to work and we can do our physical tasks and we can get things done. If we were just open to everything in reality, we would be overwhelmed. We wouldn't be able to, to, to handle it. And, and I think that's very much why we have things like um, 
oh, well, the galaxy looks like a brain, you know, because like there is an aspect of the human filter of us just having barriers up where we have a pareidolia where we we want to see certain things because we're always projecting human concepts onto inhuman things. We do it with our pets. We do it with dogs. How many times do you see someone talk to their dog like it's a person? Oh, he doesn't like that. He likes this. And like there's a lot of projection that's not necessarily real, but it's just how we are. You know, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's it's a projection nonetheless. So it's one of those difficulties of looking at this phenomenon, looking at reality, of finding the signal in the noise. Being human by default gives you a lot of noise, but there's signals of importance, and I, you know, and I think it's it's part of our job to find those hidden truths and find something higher within ourselves. Yeah. Um, I believe we have another question. Um, someone who doesn't necessarily want to call in. Talia, do you yeah. want to ask on their behalf? Totally. <laughs> so we got a question from Red Queen Effect. Um, it says, mm. Tyler spoke about reading up on magic and alchemy topics when younger. I would like to know mm. which books in particular he would recommend to get a good overview of these subjects. Um, and I will, um, I will second that question. <laughs> The one, the one I will reference because it's the one um, that always comes to mind whenever I say that. Because it was just, it's just one book that gave me just enough at a very specific age that opened me up to realizing all this was connected. It sent me down a lot of weird rabbit holes by reading in between the lines with little things said. And that is The Philosopher's Stone by Peter Marshall. Um in this book, he, he, he details his travels all around different parts of the world, um, China, Egypt, India, Europe, and, and how alchemy has been this universal concept or subject that kind of sprung up simultaneously in these ancient cultures that shouldn't have necessarily had connection to one another. Uh, but the further you dig into alchemy and seeing like where these old writings talk about where it comes from, it does start to sound a lot like this kind of um, almost ancient astronaut theory stuff where a lot of them talk about these ascended masters that have come across the sea from some kind of disaster or some kind of weird thing. And, and you start to find these weird allusions to stuff that sounds like modern day extraterrestrial type stuff but that's not to say that i think that's what it is i think you're just seeing ancient people talk about the same kind of subjects that have always probably been here you know through their lens for that time but but there's strange teachings nonetheless and um it all ties into occultism and magic and and the great work so to speak and it, it was reading that book and the little blurbs about some of that little strange stuff that he would plug in every once in a while where I was like oh damn like this is blowing my mind like that was my first thing to be like wow maybe these things that I used to think were aliens from space like are actually spirits and that this actually does tie in the magic and this this fuel for us to try and reach something higher than ourselves even if it may be coming from within ourselves there's something out side of us that is affecting the way we view reality and i think that is one of the functions of the phenomena is to enchant our worldview and i think alchemy very much comes from that um that that same state of mind i think even uh, jason mentioned ellen greenfield i think ellen greenfield even mentions that in the beginning of secret cipher the euphonauts when uh we talk about symbolism in archetypal forms like Alchemy is very much archetypes and, and symbolism uh, and how we, we convey knowledge and ideas through it. Anyway, I hope that, uh, that was my answer. <laughs> that was my answer. So what, what was that book again? The uh, title of it? The, uh, <laughs> the, the, was it The Philosopher's, the Philosopher's Stone? Stone by Peter Marshall. I, um, I linked it in the chat, and, and don't worry, Xanthia, I have many tabs open. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we've been, we've Actually, been sort of growing it, our library. You, you want to see something interesting. If you give me one millisecond. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Where is that book? I have it right on hand. 
So while uh while Tyler's off looking for that book, maybe uh in the chat, um, if anyone wants to recommend any supernatural, paranormal, phenomenal, um, uh, what else? Sort of spiritual books that they'd recommend. We've been getting into some different ones recently as well. Uh some of the stuff Tyler was talking about before about um symbology and how important that is reminds me of no boundary which you i haven't finished but you read talia yeah and who, who writes no boundary you've got a quieter keyboard than me which is uh, <gasps> that's asked, a good question so. i can't remember it's very old um, it's, it's more of a chaos magic manual uh, yeah than it is um ken wilbur ken wilbur we were just uh vamping is... while you were gone um something Something you said earlier about uh, symbology and how important that is uh, made me think of uh, Ken Wilber's No Boundary, if you've read that one. Oh, I've not. Um, it's more of a chaos magic a manual. Message. Yeah, I will. S I will. Send, me, send me a message so I don't forget what it is. But uh, for some reason, it's actually kind of bizarre. I don't know where my book went. It should literally be right here next to me on this desk, and it's, it's gone. But, <laughs> but one little strange synchronicity and story about that book is when I was um, young reading it. I wish you could see it because of how dramatic it looks. It's all ripped apart and um, has tons of tabs coming out of it. And it's because I, I read it so much, marking all these strange little quirks in it. But I, at one time in my life, uh, I, I would camp out in the backyard as a little kid. Like I'd set a, a tent up. In my backyard, I'd have my dog go in there and we would both, you know, spend the night inside this tent. Mm -hmm. And I brought that book into the tent with me. And oddly enough, I was about halfway through that book. And when I slept in that tent overnight, there was a leak inside the tent and it was raining. And water had destroyed the book. It, um, it basically turned into a solid block for years and wrecked it. And I wasn't able to access those final pages. And it wasn't until recently, within the last few years, that I found it underneath my bed back home in Michigan. And the pages had finally unsealed. And what's so strange about that is I feel like it was time release to kind of give me more, to make me revisit the book and uh, absorb it now in the present day. And what I thought was so funny about it as just like a little synchronicity or coincidence is uh, when I peeled back one of the torn up pages on the publishing on the binding, the publisher is actually Pan Books. Like the God Pan. Pan Books. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> oh, we, we keep I, I never seeing knew that. that stuff around. I, I never knew that. So like oh. um, just a lot of strange stuff like that happens. And uh, thanks for the follow. Um, I miss your name there, and I don't see it in the chat. I don't know if you saw it, Talia. Uh, something with an H and an S is all I, all I saw. Well, thanks anyway. Um, speaking of synchronicities, <laughs> I um I was a bit hesitant when I reached out to you for this interview because I thought, oh, Talia's going to think I'm having a laugh because we're called Cave Goblin Radio. But, you know, <laughs> this podcast network has been called Cave Goblin since early 2018. And I... I don't know if Helio was even out then, uh, but we didn't watch it until <laughs> until uh, last year. We were pretty excited. We were pretty excited it. when we found it. We're like, holy well, shit, this is about cave goblins. We're cave at, goblins. At first, <laughs> is, that, is that how you found it? Is that how you found it? Because no, of just searching like that, writing that name in all the time? I heard Henry Zabrowski talking about it on an episode of Last Podcast on okay. the Left. I know him and, uh, oh. him and Greg talk quite a bit. <laughs> well, it's funny because I, I would be lying if I said that didn't cross my mind um, a couple times. Like, wait a second, that seems fishy. But I, I believe that. In fact, it's, it's one of the reasons I even just agreed to this, like on the spot. Like, like a lot of how I live my life is very sporadic and in the moment where I just trust intuition. And um, when you said that, like, you're like, no, like we just coincidence right like we titled this it's like before hellier i was just like yeah i believe it let's do it <laughs> so like that's literally like there's a lot of these things I, i've been kind of horrible with um getting back to people or or messaging people who've, who've wanted to do podcasts and that's my fault i'm starting to get better at it that's why i've been doing some recently so 
anyone wants to do an interview, you know, I'm all game, but seeing your message was like one of those things where I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'm not going to do, I literally said yes before I even did any kind of research on like the topics and things that, that you cover. Cause I was just like risk or not, this is kind of how I, I feel out reality and live reality is, is I just go with the flow sometimes. This is one of those things that seemed right. And I, I think it's been a great show so far. I think we've had some good questions smashed out of the way. Absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, I wanted to ask, speaking of the Cave Goblin, um, just to, I don't know if your image is flipped to your left, is that a, a Cave Goblin on your desk there? That uh, It bus? is, actually, yeah. So this is... Um, is, is that is the close-up Helio picture Cave Goblin? Yeah, it, this is literally the Cave Goblin from Hellier. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, so what I should have told people... Actually, here, I even have... Uh, yeah, so the same goblin you see in the Hellier poster is, in fact, the same one-to-one scale size of goblin you see here, this little thing. So what, what I should have told people um, when we started is that, apart from being a paranormal investigator, I'm actually also a special makeup and effects artist. So I always tell people I not only hunt monsters, I also make them. <laughs> so the goblin you see in Hellier, both in the poster art as well as the intro credit scenes, I sculpted that with my own two hands and I molded it. And this is the actual size of that goblin that you see in all that stuff is very is, is tiny. Is that the master copy? It, what's that? Is that one the master copy? Uh, it's no, my accent, master, maybe. Yeah. No, the, the master copy I have tucked away somewhere. That's made in, like, clay. This is actually resin. So this can get replicated. I have a mold. I can mold these anytime. Um, I actually just sold a big batch of these. They sold out in the half an hour. I made 40 of them, and they all sold out. <laughs> but um, interesting story, though, on that goblin, um, for anyone listening that may be curious. The goblin you see in Hellier was never meant to be used for Hellier. However, it was created with that case in mind. So I actually created this sculpture long before Hellier was ever even a thought to be a documentary that would be made. I was aware, however, of the interview Greg did with Euphemit. And it tied in with a lot of synchronistic things I had already researched and had been familiar with. So I became enthralled with the case right away. I was even prepared to go to Kentucky, but that's a whole other story. So I had been going to school. This is around 2016, October of 2016. I sculpted this little goblin with all of this in mind, where with David's descriptions in the emails that Greg was sent that started the Hellier case, he very much describes them like extraterrestrials, even the photos that you see of them, allegedly, they look a lot like gray aliens. He talks about them having just like thin lipless mouths, like no nose to speak of, etc. Sounds like an alien. I don't know if he says they don't have ears, but I took that and projected it onto the original Hopkinsville incident, which they have very big ears, but look a lot like aliens. So I wanted to take elements of all of those things and kind of make a, amalgamation of something that both felt and looked like an alien, like a goblin, like something that could be a fairy. I did all of that. And that's how I came up with that design was this kind of scaling everything down, not making the eyes too big, making something that looked like it could exist inside of reality. And the reason why the goblin's eyes are closed, if you look at my original sculpture, again, this was never meant to be used in a documentary, my original plan for this for myself was to create a small bodied creature that was going to be placed inside of a jar of liquid as if it was a preserved wet specimen. Like a little so I sculpt Yeah, so I sculpted it as though it was dead. And that's why its eyes are its eyes are closed. The way that it ended up being incorporated in the Hellier is because Carl seen it in the background of a photo, and all it was is a head at the time, no neck or shoulders. And it was before we were all going to meet up. And he was like, hey, 
he's like, I seen that goblin that you sculpted. He's like, do you think you could like bring that with to this place we're going to meet up? And maybe I can photograph and maybe use it in some poster art. Kind of like a last minute thing. I'm like, well, yeah, sure. It's not even done, but I'll hurry up and like try and throw a neck on it. So like in one day, I, I had to hurry up and sculpt just this little bust. And I brought it, you know, to this this place we were meeting up at. And then he, he took some shots of it, but it ended up becoming this huge, like basically the face <laughs> of the documentary. So I, I always joke, as iconic as the Goblin is now, I always joke that it's not even a good sculpture because it, it was just um, a last-minute kind of slap-together thing from, from stuff that we had on hand. And it, it just blew up literally and, and figuratively into what it is today. I guess it's just another synchronicity <laughs> that it got made. Yeah, totally. And totally. there's a lot of discussion uh, in, in chat about... Uh, <laughs> about your your goblin sculpture there and red queen effect says uh they also look kind of like the monsters from the descent and that's mm. if you if you stick around if you want to head to our discord uh red queen that's um something i want to talk about but we're going kind of over time here um <laughs> is kind of a my biggest paranormal story is relevant to that and um i've actually mm. written a lot of unreleased fiction based around that and how and watching Hellier, I was thinking the same thing. Like that looks like those monsters <laughs> that uh, <laughs> I've had some experience with. Um, it's a weird thing to say right at the end of the uh, episode without um, elaborating <laughs> on it. But I've, <laughs> you just have to come back. What a, what a tease! What <laughs> yeah, a tease. I believe I've told this on air before. You know what? We <laughs> we do a we do a more casual stream uh, same time tomorrow, seven thirty Pacific, where we just we play Among Us actually. Um, sometimes tell that we were talking about and i i i'm usually a a few drinks deep in that one and i overshare a lot um (laughs) but i wanted to ask you one question before we wrap up um that was about your special effects work as you being a special effects artist special effects makeup artist has that ever caused people to question the integrity of your research you know what's interesting about that not yet but it's an interesting discussion that has always occurred heard off screen I, I talk to greg about this all the time where there are things that i want to make but i can't make them because i don't want that to happen so like i've um i think i've done a good job of not making controversial things like we don't even have anything to say like oh strand made that <clears throat> i've mostly <laughs> it, it comes down to the uh the spider-man uh, quote from Uncle Ben, uh, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So a lot of the things I've done in the paranormal by combining my specific style of art is by actually replicating haunted objects and, and physical objects that in a way help preserve history and preserve stories, which is something that actual full-blown museums incorporate when they they replicate mausoleums and and headstones and ancient carvings i've done similar things in uh cases of hauntings um to put it lightly that's what i've used my molding ability toward now to combat that question with almost the opposite of the answer what i find so funny and greg and i laugh about this a lot is I mean, no matter what you do, you're, you're going to have critics, you know? And so of course there, there's some people who think Hellier can't be real or these people are actors or whatever. And what's so hilarious about that is we literally have a su- <laughs> super skilled video editor director. We have a musician. We have a witch. You have a special makeup and effects artist. And the, the fucking closest thing you ever get to see a goblin is a fucking tin can. Does that even make sense? <laughs> <laughs> like, like at the very, at the very least, I could have made a footprint. <laughs> like, like the fact that you don't even have a footprint it should be evidence enough that yeah, maybe like w- you would have to be the worst scriptwriter in the fucking history of anything to be like. You're not going to get goblins, but you're going to get tin tin cans cans in season one. (laughs) 
But wait, you want a season two? Strap in because we got something huge for you guys. You're going to get balloons. <laughs> Makes no sense. So it's like. I found a balloon in my pocket yesterday. I completely forgot about that. Oh my God. <laughs> Why do you have balloons? You remember in your that? Pocket? I found a balloon yeah, in my pocket. I was I like, what the hell? There's a balloon in my pocket. Oh, Jesus. Anyway. <laughs> I, th I feel like we could keep talking for a whole other hour, um, but yeah, for sure. Know, I, I, I try to keep these to an hour. Thanks so much for uh, coming on today, Tyler. That was uh, uh, probably I, I'm I'm gonna say probably my favorite interview I've ever done. Um, oh, thank you so much. Where can people follow you and uh, find what you're working on? So I am still in the works of actually making a website. I would love to make a Patreon and such uh, so I can really give back to people and show them my process. I don't have that yet, but if you're curious about what I'm up to now, um, I would say the closest thing for you to follow are just the two social media platforms you can find me on, which is Twitter, which is at T underscore stranded and Instagram, which is probably where I'm most active because I'm always taking photos of stuff and being weird. That is BlackWolf26 is my Instagram handle. Hey there, lovely listeners. I'm Talia Murdoch, and I'm here to tell you about my show, Everything Economics. Every week, I talk about the world around you, specific social and economic issues, and dive into how fantasy realms would work in real life. That's Everything Economics on the Cave Goblin Network. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.